If you have a Bible, go ahead and open to the book of Ephesians. We're going to continue our series in the study of the book of Ephesians. Ephesians chapter 1. If you don't have a copy of the scriptures, we're going to have uh, the text up on the screen so you can follow along with us. Ephesians chapter 1. And this morning we're going to be in verse 15 through 18. And I'll read that for us here. Ephesians chapter 1. Verse 15 through 18, this is uh, Paul's letter to the church at Ephesus. He says this, For this reason, ever since I heard about your faith in the Lord Jesus and your love for all God's people, I have not stopped giving thanks for you, remembering you in my prayers. And I keep asking that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the glorious Father, may give you the spirit of wisdom and revelation so that you may know him better. And I pray that the eyes of your heart may be enlightened in order that you may know the hope to which he has called you, the riches of his glorious inheritance in his holy people. Let's pray and just ask God to help us with this this morning. Father God, we love you. And um, God, Jed's right. What a, an amazing privilege for us to be able to come together and God sing these true things about you and to you. And, and God, I, um, I just want to pray exactly what the Apostle Paul prayed here, God, in this passage that you have for us this morning. God, I'm thankful for the faithfulness um, of the people in this congregation. God, I'm thankful for their love for one another. God, I'm thankful for your love for us. Um, God, I thank you for, for Jesus and for who he is and what we have in him. God, I'm asking um, that by your spirit, that you would give wisdom and revelation, God, so that we would know you better. God, I'm praying that the eyes of our hearts would be enlightened or illuminated. God, that this morning that we would know the hope to that which you've called us. And God, um, what an amazing thought for us to think this morning, God, that we are your inheritance um, because of your grace and mercy in our life. So, Spirit of God, I pray that you would come. I pray that you would move with power and freedom. Jesus, I pray that you are made much of and magnified because this is always and only about you. And so I ask all of these things in your name. Amen. Uh, like your family, uh, our family really likes these kind of home improvement, kind of like fixer-upper type shows. Um, and uh, you've seen these shows before. They're fairly popular. Um, and, you know, the, 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 this, they'll go out and they'll find a family and say, okay, we found a house for you. It's in this neighborhood and it costs this much, which is in line with your budget, but it's going to need this amount of work. And so they take the family to it and they pick through these houses and they say, no, we want this one. And then they show uh, all the renovations and all the remodels and all the work and all the things that have to happen. And of course it goes longer than it's supposed to, or we didn't know this was going to be there. This is more expensive. This takes more time. It can't take more time. We need it done by now. It's not going to be done by now. Oh, guess what? It's done by then. And then they just kind of take him through. And then at the end of the episode, the end of the episode, good news happens in this big reveal moment. And there's whatever's in front of the house or, hey, open up your eyes. Or remember the show they had with the big semi truck, like move that truck thing or bus, whatever it was. And so the thing, and that's the reveal. That's where the good news happens. Good news. Look at your new house. 
And of course, the family is like flipping out. Thank you. How in the world? Oh, it's better than I ever thought it would be. And they take them through from room by room. And hey, we did this. We did this. We did this. Now, there are not any shows out there, at least that I know of, where they only take couples and they say, hey, here's this house. It's in a bad neighborhood and it's really not that good a shape. But here's a house you can buy. And it's going to need this amount of work and it's going to cost you this much. Okay, we'll see you next week. Next week's episode, the same thing. There, is no sh- there are no shows like that because that show doesn't include the good news. That show just includes news, b- b- bad news mostly. Like here's a house, it costs this much, and needs this amount of work. Nobody is watching that show. Everybody waits for the end of the show for the reveal, for the good news. Look at the brand new thing that has happened. And that's exactly what Paul is praying for the church and praying for us, that God would open our eyes and that we would see Check out the brand new, put your name in the blank. What Paul is saying is, God, would you open our eyes and remind us that when we put our faith in you and we're joined in faith to a relationship with Jesus Christ, that you have renovated everything. And that is what God is saying. Look, I changed everything. I reorganized. I repurposed. I put in something that looks amazing. I put in something that people are going to want, that they're going to ask about, that your neighbors are going to want to have done. This is a restart. This is a redo. This is a whole new ball game. Open your eyes and see what I have done. That is Paul's prayer for the church. It's, Paul's, it's our prayer this morning. Because that is the moment that life changes. That is the life-changing moment for those families in the show. That's the life-changing moment for us in the reveal, in the revelation of this restoration that has happened. So when we come to the Word of God, we're not just coming for more information. What, what I love about a room like this and really a morning like this is that there are people here who uh, you have studied the book of Ephesians. Uh, and, in fact, you've probably led studies in the book of Ephesians. There's people in the room who probably know more about Ephesians than I do. And your bucket is absolutely, your Ephesians bucket is just absolutely jammed back. And so when you come on a Sunday, you're like, I want one more thing that I can like squeeze in my Ephesians bucket. So come on, man, give me something. Give me something I've never heard about. There's people like that in the room. Then there's other people in the room. When I say open your Bible to Ephesians, you look at the person next to you, you see how they flop open their Bible and you're like, how'd they do that? Like, how did they know, like, where to go to find Ephesians? I'm still trying to figure out how to even spell it. And I love that. I love that everybody on the spectrum is here this morning and is welcome here. And, and, And I love that. But this is not just a simply a time wick. If I can, find, I can get one more just Ephesians nugget that I can squeeze in, 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 my, in my bucket. Because we're asking God for his help that we might have from him revelation. Revelation. That God would open our eyes and we, like the family in the show, would be able to see and say, this is amazing. How, how did you ever, how did you do this? You did all of this? And God would say, I did. I did all of this in you. And I'm continuing to work it out through you. The big theme of Ephesians, if you're just kind of dropping in on us, is that we are the people of God on planet Earth. Specifically, the body of Christ. That means that we are God's people with God's purpose in and over our lives. And Paul begins this section here in verse 15 by giving thanks for their faith and for their love for one another. Two marks of conversion, two dimensions of spiritual life that are inseparable. That is the source of Paul's joy as he's writing in this section. That the faith and the love of God's people. 
Look, let's look at that in verse 15 and 16 again. For this reason, he says, ever since I heard about your faith in the Lord Jesus and your love for all God's people, I have not stopped giving thanks for you, remembering you in my prayers. So again, kind of bring up the speed on Paul. He's an ambassador of the new faith, this new church of the resurrection of Jesus. And what Paul did is he traveled around Asia Minor and he would go to these different cities. And one of them was Ephesus, this little port city. And he was part of building up the church there for about two years. And then he moved on to other cities and he eventually wound up in Jerusalem. And there he kind of came under fire from these religious leaders. And uh, he ended up appealing to the Roman government because he was a Roman citizen. And that landed him back in Rome. And he's now under house arrest for his faith. And so he's writing this letter because he's heard about this little church in Ephesus and, and he's reaching out because he's invested so much of him and he's sending word back to them. He's sending encouragement back to them. He said, look, I, I want you to know that I'm giving thanks for you every time I hear about your faithfulness in Christ. When he says, I've heard about your faith, he, it doesn't mean that Paul's heard about the fact that they've believed in Jesus and became followers of Christ. It's that Paul heard about their faithfulness, their continuing to trust in Christ Jesus. It says, I've heard about your faith and your love. Faith is the expression of the believer's trust in God. It's talking about this vertical relationship, this relationship we have with God. They're continuing to trust in Jesus. The, this church, they're continuing to have confidence in him. And, and your love, love is the evidence of a proper relationship with others. It describes this horizontal relationship. So Paul says, I'm, I'm thankful for the report that I'm getting on this vertical relationship, this faith, this trust, this confidence that you have in God. And I'm thankful for the, vertical, or for the horizontal relationship that you have, this love for one another. And he's not just simply talking about sentimental, emotional feelings. He's talking about you're living a life of self-sacrifice for one another. You're living for the greatest good of, of another. And Paul's says, I'm hearing about that and I'm thankful for that. He, he hasn't seen the Ephesians for about eight to ten years, but he's hearing about these things and he said, because I'm hearing those things, it indicates a genuineness of your salvation and I'm just thanking God for that. And in and, and verse 16, he's talking about thanksgiving for what their current experience is, but then the, he moves into this intercession for what's possible in God's purpose for them. Look at verse 17 and 18 again. He says, I keep asking that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the glorious Father, may give you the spirit of wisdom and revelation so that you may know him better. I pray that the eyes of your heart may be enlightened in order that you may know the hope to which he has called you, the riches of his glorious inheritance in his holy people. He says, I'm asking for two things. I'm asking for a spirit of wisdom and of revelation. Wisdom is the ability to apply these revealed spiritual truths or the ability to uh, uh, apply uh, the knowledge of God's will to life situation. How do I more accurately see reality? Through wisdom. That's how I apply what I know about God to what my current circumstance is. And he says, I'm praying for that. I'm also praying for revelation. Revelation is like the unveiling of something that's hidden. It's this idea of like, I'm gonna take the cover off or I'm gonna take the lid off and that which I couldn't see before or that which wasn't visible to me before is now being made visible. And, and Paul's praying that the Holy Spirit that dwells in them would make their vision clearer, that their vision would be stronger, that this divine power and love and greatness might be revealed to them more fully. So he says, I'm praying for the spirit of wisdom and a spirit of revelation that God would open your eyes so that you can truly see who he is and who we are in him. Because when those two things happen, the result is that we know God more. And that's something that this church needed and that's something that we need. We need to know God more. 
It's what Paul prayed for them. It's what God desires for us, that we'd have a spirit of wisdom, that God's spirit would connect to our mind, emotions, our will, our spirit, that there would be this spiritual awakening, that we would have the wisdom of God, but that we would also have the revelation from God, because again, our greatest need is not necessarily more information, but it's for revelation. We need more of the supernatural God work, which opens our eyes to see things like only God can reveal. So, so that we, we are doing what the family does when they get into this new home. When that reveal happens, they walk in, this is amazing. That's what God desires for us. That they, these things would be revealed, that we would see, that we would have that same type of reaction. This is what God is wanting, that you and I will have our eyes opened by his supernatural working so that when we will be a people who walk around amazed and captivated by what God is doing in the world, by what God is doing in our lives, and in our lives collectively as his people. It's so important for us because when the church has lost its sense of revelation, we transfer everything into information and we stop being wowed by what God is doing and we start being impressed by how much we know. That's a dangerous place for the church. Now, what we know is important. It's important. But what God wants is for our eyes to be open, that we never lose the wonder of how God is working in our world, in your circumstance, in this moment, in this city, in your neighborhood, in this church. We work really hard to make sure that we get the information right. We study hard to make sure that we get the information right. But at the end of the day, it's not about having more information to cram into our buckets. It's about having a spiritual, supernatural, God-breathed moment where our eyes are open and we respond in astonishment at what God is doing in our lives and we see him more clearly. And that is God's work. That is the work that God does. Every time I have an opportunity to, to preach up, up here or even in, in 710 or you see Tim or you see Tyler or the, any of the other pastors or preachers that we have come up here, there is something, if I'm honest, that, it, that is, seems kind of nuts that we're asking God to do. Like in this moment, in this moment, God would you somehow speak to us through me? And, that, and that's nuts because I know who I am and I know who you are. But would you, by the power of your spirit, would you do this? Would you open our eyes? Would you reveal something about yourself so that we would know you more? Revelation so that we can know him better, so that we can see Jesus more clearly, so that we can know Jesus more deeply, so that we can walk with Jesus more closely and lift him up higher in our world. You can have all the information and still not live the kind of life that Christ wants you to live. There's a pastor who says it this way. I like this phrase. He says, the revelation of God leads to a revolutionary way of living. The revelation of God leads to a revolutionary way of living. Meaning that when God reveals who he is and what he has done, and what he will do in your life and in this world, it leads to a revolutionary way of living. The point of this prayer in verse 17 is that you would know him better. There's an author and a pastor by the name of James Boyce. And he was asked what he thought was the greatest lack among evangelical Christians in America today. So it's an older quote, but it's still relevant today. He said, what, what is it that evangelical Christians in America need the most? And he said, I think the greatest need of the evangelical church is for professing Christians to really know God. 
That's what they need. They need to really know God. His commentary on this section of scripture, he says, put together, it's really one great prayer for knowledge, knowledge of God and a fuller knowledge of the elements of salvation consisting in our hope, our inheritance, and the power available to us through the Lord Jesus Christ. The chief idea is that we might know God because knowing him and knowing about him are quite different. And I think, sadly, sometimes we put so little effort into knowing God. I think, sadly, the average Christian in America puts so little effort into becoming acquainted with God when we have that kind of opportunity. Um, Imagine for a second that there's going to be someone famous who's going to come and they're going to stay with you and your family for a month. Now, all morning I had been using uh, the royal couple, Kate and William, uh, but last hour my wife's like, that's dumb. Who cares? Um, she's like, why don't you use Chip and Joanna Gaines? So I was like, oh, <laughs> who apparently are America's royal couple. So I said, okay, it's, it is a better illustration anyway. So let's say Chip and Joanna, they're going to come to your house and they say, hey, we're going to stay uh, for a month. And, and by the way, if you've got any projects around the house, if you need some shiplap put up somewhere, uh, we'd be more than willing to do that. We'd love to do that, in fact. And uh, don't worry about the cost. We'll just do it all on our own dime. And we just, we want to live with you. We want to stay with you for a month. Is that cool? And of course you say yes. Now, how, like, odd would it be if they lived with you in your house for a month and for a month you mostly ignored them? Like maybe like in passing, like every other day, maybe like a few minutes, you'd, you'd give them some attention, you'd engage in a conversation with you, you'd spend a little bit of time, but by and large, you don't really pay attention to them at all. You really don't give them any time. Maybe on a Sunday, you try to give them 30, 35 minutes of undevoted kind of attention and time. That would be odd. That would be very odd. Is that not what we do with God? We have access. We have opportunity. He says, I want to do so much for you and in you at my expense. And we don't give him any attention. This past summer, my family, we had a chance to go back to Florida um, for vacation. And uh, my parents and my sisters and their families, we all rented this beach house on the, on the Gulf Coast. And every night we'd walk down to the beach and we'd stare at the sunset. And uh, Florida Gulf Coast sunsets are just amazing. And the sky would be lit up with this like brilliant like pinks and purples and oranges. And it was just like absolutely beautiful. We'd be down there and I'm just kind of trying to soak it all in, staring at it. And I was like, oh, I love this. This is just so beautiful. And there were always like this kind of group of uh, teenagers that were there too. Um, and they had their faces down, their heads down, and their faces aglow in their cell phones. I'm going to sound like a really old man here right now for a second. And I was like, what are you doing? Like, why are you staring at your phone? What in the world could be on your phone right now that's better than what we have in front of us? Do we not do that with God? God says, here I am. And in all my glory and all my splendor, and I am here and you have the opportunity to just gaze and wonder and amazement at who I am and what I've done and what I promised to do. And your head is down buried in Facebook. 
And what Paul is saying is, look, if you guys are going to be what God wants you to be in the world, you have to understand there is an opening of the eyes that allows you to see God in such a way that you don't ever want to stop looking at him, that you don't ever want to stop paying attention to him, and you want to know more. And, he, and, and God is looking for people like that. He's looking for a church like that. He's looking for a church that's not too busy or distracted that they cannot see the majesty of God. Which means, church, that we have to stop thinking about ourselves. We, 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 we need to be thinking about Christ in the world that needs Jesus. Because it's not just about me and my wisdom and my ability and my agenda and my plan and my comfort and my success and, and, and my pleasure and my strength and my insight. It's Christ in me. We need to have our eyes open to who Jesus is and who we are in him. Paul prays that they might see things better. I want you to see clearly. The message, which is a paraphrase, says this, that your eyes would be focused and clear. There's another translation that says, I pray that your heart will be flooded with light so you can understand the wonderful future that he has promised to those he has called. That God would give them the Holy Spirit of wisdom and revelation and illumination. In verse 18, he says, so that you would know what is the hope to which you've been called. That, that hope, he's talking about a desire of something good with the expectation that it's going to happen. In, in the scriptures, um, a hope is the absolute certainty and expectation of future good. It's not just like, a, well, I hope it works out. I hope there's something good coming down the line. No, it's, it's I have a strong confidence that God is going to do good towards me in the future. In... Um, in the Lord of the Rings, if I can nerd out for a second here, uh, there's this moment where the Fellowship of the Ring, these are the dudes who are carrying the ring, um, they're given these gifts, and they go around, each one is given a gift, and Frodo, who's the hobbit who's actually carrying the ring, um, he gets this, this, this file, it's a small kind of crystal bottle of liquid, and this gift has the ability to illuminate this super bright light whenever enemies are around. So he can use it to cast this brilliant light whenever there's darkness or whenever the enemies are around. And there's a, there's a line um, that's said to Frodo when he is given this gift, and I love it. It says, it will shine still brighter when night is about, and may it be a light to you in dark places when all other lights go out. When the lights go out, we have a certain hope. We have an illumination, a brilliance, and it's based on what God has already done. When this little church was reading this letter, they were more than likely aware of Nero, who was lighting Christians on fire alive as torches for his garden parties. Hard times were coming down the road for Christians, and they knew it. And Paul is not an optimist. He's a realist. And the greatest reality in Paul's life is the resurrection of Jesus Christ. And so Paul says, I want you to know what is the realest thing. He, he's praying for more of the Spirit of God in the life of the church because the Spirit of God embodies the life, the death, and the resurrection of Jesus in the life of the Christian. He's praying for us to have a greater understanding and a greater experience of what he knows to be the realest realness that there is. The resurrection of Jesus Christ. And when you know the hope to which you have been called, you know that your trial is not the sum total of your story because if you are joined with Jesus... Jesus wins. 
And even if your understanding of and your experience of God is small, you are confident that he is not small. That is the hope of the Christian. The hope of our calling is the absolute certainty of a heavenly destiny that includes all that await the sins, the saints at the return of the Lord Jesus. It's what Paul referred to in the phrase, um, Justin read from Titus this morning, Paul writes in, in Titus about the blessed hope. He says, the grace of God has appeared, bringing salvation to all men, instructing us to deny ungodliness and worldly desires, and to live sensibly, righteously, and godly in the present age, looking, and he's not just talking about any kind of looking, he's talking about anxiously, eagerly, earnestly, expectantly looking for the blessed hope and the appearing of the glory of our great God and Savior, Christ Jesus, who gave himself for us, that he might redeem us from every lawless deed and purify for himself a people for his own possession, zealous for good deeds." So what Paul is praying is that we would see what is already ours, that the people of God, that this church would have a type of realized eschatology, meaning that when we, we pray the Lord's Prayer on earth as it is in heaven, that we actually live that out, that you would live what you know you are to become, that you would live as a citizen of heaven, that you would live as we are the ones who are to make the greatest difference in this world here because of what we possess in Christ. And, and that's what he says in, in the beginning of Ephesians. He says, look, every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places, that's yours. That is the promised possession of the saints of God. And what Paul desires is that saints would actually possess their possessions. It's the same idea in Joshua chapter one. God says to Joshua, he says, every place on which the sole of your foot treads, I have given you just like I spoke that to Moses. So God had already given Israel the land. That's in part why it's called the promised land. But it was still the responsibility of the Israelites to put one foot in front of the other and to begin to possess their possessions. That they would step out in faith. That they would trust in God's enablement and laying hold of what was theirs by his divine decree. And there's an important lesson there for us today. That God has given us every spiritual blessing in Christ, yet we must step out in faith, meaning obedience, and lay hold of God's magnificent promises. And part of this promise is, is that we lay hold of those things by the prayers of the saints, the intercession that we'd be able to do that. And, and, and so what Paul is praying here, what he's simply saying is, look, I just told you about your calling. I told you about what God has done for you. And now I want you to understand it and know it and experience it deeply, deep in your heart. Because it not only involves the joy of being blessed with every spiritual blessing. It not only involves the joy of being chosen by Christ before the foundation of the world. It's being redeemed by his blood. It's being adopted as a son or daughter. It's being sealed with him in his spirit. It also involves the hope of his returning and everything thing that comes to us in his returning. And the better that we truly know the hope of his calling, the more that we are motivated to walk worthy of a, and walk in a manner that's worthy of the calling to which you've been called. And when you begin to understand what is the hope of that calling in your life, the, the assurance and the certainty that are associated with that calling, you, you, you realize that whatever is coming my way, I can stand fast on the truth of what God has accomplished for you on your behalf in Christ, past, present, and future. And, and, and Paul is saying, I want you to know these truths in a deeper, more intuitive way. I want you to be empowered by his spirit to stand firm on who he is and how faithful he will be to all of his promises towards you. And Paul says, I'm just praying that, that your heart is illuminated, that the eyes of your heart are enlightened so that you can see this, so that you can know it. There's a story of um, Chief Crowfoot. 
Chief Crowfoot um, was the, the chief of the Blackfoot Nation in southern Alberta, Canada, and he gave the Canadian Pacific Railway permission to lay track from Medicine Hat all the way to, to Calgary, which of course we all know was a really far away away. Um, actually, it's funny, there were, I had some Canadian friends who were in the service last night. I was like, how far is that Medicine Hat to Calgary? Because I, I I'm just reading the thing. I don't even know what I'm talking about. And they're like, yeah, that's like a really far away away. I was like, oh, okay, great. So he... He gives them permission to lay track for the Canadian Pacific Railway. And in return, they gave him a lifetime pass for him to use the railway any time that he wanted to. He could, take, he could ride that train any time that he wanted to, as much as he wanted to, to wherever he wanted to. And as the story goes, he took that lifetime pass and he folded up. And he had a leather pouch that he wore around his neck. And he stuck that in his leather pouch and cinched it up and wore it around his neck. And not once did he ever ride that train. Not once did he ever use his pass. And Paul says, I don't want you to be like that. I want you to possess the possessions that you have. And that's why he says in verse 18, I want the eyes of your heart enlightened so that you would know hope. And for some of you, that's the prayer that you need this morning. In fact, for some of you, maybe you just stop listening to me right now because that's what God is saying to you exactly. And you just stop and you take the rest of the time and you say, God, I just want to pray that. I just want to pray, whatever he's talking about right there, that's whatever it says right here in the scripture, that my heart would be enlightened, that there'd be an illumination, that I would know hope. I'm praying that. God, I, I'm praying that the work that you started, that you have a beautiful outcome intended for those who are your children. And that plan hasn't stopped, that you haven't quit, that there's hope. God, I'm just praying that you would just illuminate that hope in my heart and my life and I would know it. Secondly, Paul says, I'm praying for you that you would know the riches of his glorious inheritance in the saints. Okay, so what does that mean? That sounds like major church talk right there. What, is it, what does that mean? One commentary says this, that Paul is not speaking so much about what we have in Christ, which he has previously in this section, in this, in this chapter, He's not speaking so much about what we have in Christ, but about what he has in us. He thinks of us as his inheritance. In the Old Testament, that's what Israel was called. She was called the Lord's portion, the Lord's inheritance. And that's what we are. We are the Lord's portion, the Lord's inheritance. We have an inheritance in him, and he has an inheritance in us. God glories in the saints. Some of you in the room, you might have an inheritance coming. You might... Think, you know, possessions or cash or land, those things are coming to you. Well, God doesn't need any of those things. So what God gets at the end of the day are the people whom he has redeemed from death to life through his son, Jesus Christ. And so when God looks at me and you, he sees someone so extraordinary because he sees a work of grace that is unrivaled and unmatched on planet earth. And when he looks at you, he says, there is nothing that can stand up to the value that is in you because you are a miraculous work in Christ Jesus. God looks at you and he says, I brought you out of darkness. I brought you back to life by my sheer power, by my grace, by my mercy, by my love. And look what you are now in Christ. God looks at you and he says, in Christ, you are blessed with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places. You are chosen by God to be holy and blameless. You are adopted into the family of God to be a display of the grace of God. You are redeemed and forgiven. You, you are clued into the eternal purposes and plans of God on planet earth right now. You are marked by the Holy Spirit. You have part of the Trinity. You have part of the Trinity, the Holy Spirit living in you. 
I guess that's not exciting. Living in you to make Christ alive in you so that brand new life would flow out of you for those who need life. And so God looks at you and he says, yeah, you can keep the cash and the stuff and the land because I get them. I get them. He chose you, he came for you, he loved you, he saved you, he restored you, he redeemed you, he appointed you, he purposed you, he sent you out, he lives in you, he's available to you. You are a trophy of the grace of God and when it comes down to it, God says, my inheritance, what I get, what I prize is you. You're really not doing as bad as maybe you thought you were when you walked in here this morning. You are a trophy of the goodness of and grace of God. Um, like many of you, uh, a few weeks ago, I was really grinding out the Winter Olympics. I, uh, I didn't know what I was watching, but I was like, you know what? I know I'm supposed to watch this, so I'm just going to keep watching it. And uh, one of the moments that I love about the Olympics is, uh, you know, when they do the medal ceremony and they get the medals. And, uh, you know, when they get the gold medal, uh, for whatever reason, they always bite it, you know, and they get the picture and it's just there. And, that trophy, that trophy has a certain amount of glory, like gold medal. There's, there's, that's special. That's something that's really special about it. But what that gold medal does ultimately is it pushes forward and it points forward to an even greater glory. It like moves glory to something else. It moves glory to an accomplishment to something that's been accomplished. That gold medal means that, oh man, that guy, he skied and then shot at some things and then skied some more and shot. It it means that like, oh, oh, she did a 1080 stale fish McCorkle twist with a grab, stall out, the Hosoi air, like that's the accomplishment. Or that guy, he, he broomed like really good. He, He did the broom thing and that's like the best broomer in the whole world. So that trophy has a certain amount of glory. It's, it's special. It's prized. But it points towards this accomplishment. It's like, there's like one person in the world that can do that. That's, that's amazing. That accomplishment is spectacular. And even that accomplishment pushes forward and, 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 and points forward and sends glory upward to someone else. And that's the person who actually did it. That's the person who made the sacrifice That's the person who actually accomplished it. So we as trophies, there is a small amount of glory. You are prized and loved by majesty. But you are are pushing glory. You're pushing glory up to this accomplishment, this work of salvation. The life, the death, the resurrection of Jesus Christ, and ultimately you as a trophy of great are pushing glory all the way up to the one who accomplished once for all time salvation for his people. And he is going to show you off as proof of his greatness and his mercy and grace. And so when the world says, what is your God like? And he says, well, look at him. And look at her. Look what I've done. That's the kind of God I am. I breathe life over dry bones. I bring them to life. Out of ashes, I raise up beauty. I give sight. I speak healing. I bring freedom. That is the kind of God I 
am. And Paul says, I want you to know it. I want you to see it so that the world would see it in and through you. So let's pray. God, I do. I pray that through the Spirit, through your Spirit, God, that our eyes would be open to the hope that you have called us to, to the inheritance that we are for God forever so that we might know the same power that raised up Jesus is available for our lives. God, ultimately that we would see, that we would know, that we would act like who we truly are and whose we truly are. God, thank you for your word and for this time that is such a gift, such an act of your grace and your mercy, God for us to be able to hear from you this morning. Father, we love you. Again, I ask all these things. Thank you in the name of your son, Jesus. Amen.